think of my notebooks as um, a cognitive prosthetic. Like I don't always have time to think about everything in the depth I want to, so I put it on paper and it helps me kind of work through it later. That's Ian, dad, drummer, writer, and half-baked Boy Scout. A mortified performer and former teacher's pet, Ian stopped by to chat about his proprietary blend of absurdism and anonymity. I'm Amber, and here's Angelica with our weekly chat. Hi, Ian. Hey, Angelica. Thanks for joining us on Chatty yeah. Crafties. Awesome. A show where I celebrate my creative friends to get inspired by everyday art. Um, in high school, you did tech like your wife, Randy, who is our guest in episode six. Mm-hmm. Were you always interested in performance, or is this something that came a bit later? Well, you know... My mom was a performer. Oh, she has a theater in New York, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, and actually the way I got into tech was she had a comedy theater. So I was doing tech in school, but I was also doing tech like in a theater every weekend. Oh. So like uh, from the age of like 15, I was a sound and lights guy at Cleo's Comedy Theater in Houston, Texas. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And even growing up, I did a lot of performing in church because my mom was the choir director. And, uh, I think it's funny because when I was really young, I got like the lead roles in things at church and at school. And then something happened to me in middle school and I like shut down. I didn't want to be in front of people. I didn't want to talk just like the, the way I was naturally did not fly anymore. Oh, And so it's like, it kind of got taken out of me and, uh, yeah, I didn't want to speak or perform ever. And I feel like it's only in, like, the past, like, year that, like, I've gotten this itch to, like, go up. It happened. The scratching the itch comment, it's happened in every single episode. Oh, yeah. Art is very itchy. Well, well, sometimes I wonder (laughs) if there's, like, something going on, like, in America. Like, people are, like, you know, life's short, life's precious. Mm -hmm. And uh, people who have had things to say feel like it's time to say them. Yeah. It bubbles out. Yeah. What are you into creatively? I know music and you're starting to do performance and writing. What is your list? Writing has always been the big thing for me. You know, ever since I was a kid, have you looked at like those uh, exercises you do in school that are like, what are you going to be when you grow up? It would be like, it would have, it would, a lot of things would change. Like I want to be a paleontologist. I want to be a scientist. I want to do this and that things I didn't end up doing, but there'd always be, I want to be a writer. Hmm. And so I've always had that. And, uh, I, I've even thought about like, what if I like got rid of all my books and threw away all my notebooks and tried to like live an aesthetic life. And I just know that like, no, my pockets would be full of paper with notes on them and it would start up again, you know? And so I feel it's a, it's a, it's a compulsion Uh to write all the time. I am one of these people who's started and not finished like a bunch of books mm-hmm. and like uh, of writing them. And, uh, for like three or four years, I was hardcore only worked on this one book and I wrote like a hundred thousand words of it. And yeah. it's just still like 10% finished or something. Like I just can't put it together. And, and at projects at work, I can come up with an idea and like sell it, work on it. But it's like somebody else has to like take it the last like mile, you yeah. know, I, I, I just, I know that that's, but if I want to do something with my work, I'm going to have to fix that. You wrote in high school. Were you in PNP? 
accepted you? I got accepted into P&B. You uh-huh. know, like, I wanted to be in tech. I wanted to be in the booth. So uh, Playwrights and Players, we lovingly call P&P. This was um, a performance poetry group in high school, and you have to audition to get in. It's an honors class. And we've talked about it in multiple earlier episodes, but if you're just tuning in, you might be like, what the crap is P&P? So, you know, like at the, at the applause at the end of a show, they're always, they point to the tech booth yeah, and like, like oh, thanks, tech. Thanks. And I would like hide, like <laughs> duck under <laughs> the thing. Cause I like, and I, I would be like, no, no, they're going to think tech. Don't, don't. I tried to like will them not to think tech. Really? Cause it was, just, I was just so uh, mortified by everything. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I love knowing that. Yeah. So what happened that made you clam up when you were a kid? I mean, I have like my, uh, I have like my moment when I was in sixth grade and uh, it's the purple lunchbox story. I don't know this. <clears throat> well, so at elementary school, I thought I was the shit because I was smart and the teachers liked me. You know, what else does a kid need, yeah, it's right? it's a good place to be. And um, in sixth grade, we went to the, I transferred to the middle school and uh, I asked my mom to get me a purple lunchbox. And it was like one of those giant cooler lunchboxes on a big, long, um, yeah. Strap. <laughs> you can just see your face your expression. And um, uh, first off, everyone else had a sack lunch yeah. or they bought it. It was not uh, dangling from their shoulder, banging against their hip. Oh my God. And so I remember early on in the school year, I was walking down the hall and there were there were two girls walking towards me. And I saw them look at me and then look at my lunchbox. And in that moment, I understood they were cool. I was not. Uh-huh. I carry a purple lunchbox. <laughs> and so like, I went home and like threw away the lunchbox. Oh. But that did not fix it. It was like it, from then on, I was like, I'm different. I'm not cool. The awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And then I totally doubted all of my <gasps> instincts and intuition. Wow. Which is something that like I still deal with. That like I I like really strongly believe that I have bad intuition, I have bad instincts, I can't trust my gut. It's like I'm like like working through this like right now as an yeah, adult. Yeah. That like no, it's like when you have feelings, like you should listen to them. You shouldn't just be like, nah. <laughs> I've been to therapy, and that story comes up a lot. Oh, that's so fascinating. You know? <laughs> you know, I've done visualization exercises where we like lock the purple lunchbox in a safe. Yeah. You know, and put it, and I felt like you know I kind of. I've, I've grown, but it's yeah. like, it, you know, it, it all goes back to that fucking lunchbox. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I do know that, like, from there, you know, like, uh, high school, the best thing about being president of tech was you got a key to the auditorium so I could go eat lunch by myself. Yeah. You know? You know? That I, was so great about theater in general. Mm-hmm. I felt like we could just go in the black box theater anytime we wanted. I had a hall pass for the entire year that Miss Pettit signed. Thanks, Miss Pettit. Um, it was such a welcoming place that we could all just go hide with mm-hmm. each other. But at the same time, I was writing poetry like frantically, yeah. like 10 to 15 poems a day. So I took I, a piece of like paper and I'd fold it into quarters and I'd write a poem on one quarter. I put it in my pocket and then like 30 minutes later, I get an idea and I write on another one. And then so I'd ha- and I'd have two or three of those in my pocket at the end of every day. And I'd take them home and I'd, I'd type them up. And so I had like a big um, stash of it. And also I started, um, you know, Ryan, our friend Ryan, yeah, Ryan had this 
um, zine called Scraping Hoof. Scraping Hoof, yeah. And so I started writing for Scraping Hoof anonymously. Okay. I sent him letters to his home with oh, pieces. Like- not anonymously as far as he he didn't, he didn't know, know who, who I was. <gasps> that is so amazing. And I was so weird. I wrote my thing, my like a little weird short story or essay or whatever. And I would sign it, enjoy and die. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they would know it was from me. <laughs> <laughs> when did he find out it was you? Eventually I was like, I'm the enjoy and die guy. And he was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, and uh, and then I started my own zine. Did you? Yeah. Called. Well, I yeah. I the first time I did a zine, I made a zine about a teacher nobody liked, and it was about a witch hunt. And uh-huh. I didn't tell anyone I did it. I just went to the place and I paid my three cents a copy. Uh-huh. I made like ten copies, and I stuck them in desks in that teacher's room. <gasps> that is cold. And I did it totally anonymously. Like nobody ever die. asked me about it. And then I started one called Mediocre Centrifugal. That's a good name. Again, it's just like, it was like super weird things. I might read something from that. I would a, love in it. In like Mortified. Yeah. yeah. Oh, coming yeah. Coming up. Um, just, I mean, I can't. They're, they're not really describable. It's like the kind of stuff you do in P&P, but on, on the page. It's just like, you know, just weird amalgamations of what's going on in your head when yeah. you're 16. And yeah. you're confused and you're weird and you're performing being even weirder. You know? Yeah, and you will read some today because you brought a bunch of journals. So yeah. I can't I wait to. I have all kinds of crap in here. So we'll call this segment Deep Thoughts with Ian Ragsdale. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, what is this? Paradox. As we discover ourselves to be at the mercies of an increasing number of seemingly unstoppable forces, cosmic rays, mangled proteins, asteroids, capitalism, machines. <laughs> We are also convinced of our utter superiority, our own supernatural powers to control our destinies and the world. The end. (laughs) The end? Think of virgin snow, which begins to degrade even before the last flake has fallen. The ephemeral beauty, rather than making it weak and forgotten, makes it a visual treasure that residents await eagerly as the winter approaches. It becomes so precious. I really By being so fleeting. I really wanted you to write the end at the end of all of your poems. <laughs> Enjoy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Enjoy and die. A child's development and personality are a chaotic orchestration of blatant mimicry and total rebellion. Oh, God. Gosh, you wish that this was something I wrote when I was 16 and not seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> These are your new dad thoughts. Yeah. The study of history is the illumination of human triumph and errors so that we as individuals may have a better preparation to meet the challenges of ourselves with a more wise and hopefully more benevolent perspective. I still think about uh, a a play that Ryan Dilbert did, and I remember some of our, you know, still mutual friends today, they were in it. They were dressed as lizards wearing ponchos. Dancing. Do you remember the in between in between acts? And I was like, you know, I'm like, this is art. Yeah, this is amazing. And uh, I also there were a lot of I think PNP was also just more of like a community where there were a lot of conversations where people began sentences with, well, in society. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> Big ideas. Mm-hmm. And the people sitting in the black box theater were like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, go on. Uh-huh. And what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Oh, let's all start writing. Let's write right now. Okay, when you're done, everyone's going to read it to each other and we'll give you feedback. So it was very like... Oh, what's that word? It's It was an echo chamber, essentially, mm-hmm. of just encouraging everyone to really feel all those feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, and, so I, and I think that, like, my, like, being drawn to absurdism today is 100% from that weird theater class. I had such, like, a comfortable, safe place at home that school was so different. And, and so I think my parents didn't really have the skills themselves to, like... <gasps> Absolutely. Go, you're weird. You know, like I, I see Randy with our kids all the time. Like, act like you've been somewhere. <laughs> you know, what does it's that like, mean? like nobody ever, nobody ever told me. You know, like, no, this is what normal is. You know, we're yeah. gonna, you know, it's like I understand. You know why you're doing this, and it may make sense to you right now, but you're gonna make other people feel more comfortable if you say this or do this. And yeah. I would I relate to that. You know, like I want to make other people comfortable, which is why I think sometimes I would just shut down. I didn't want to make other people uncomfortable because I would see them like go like, what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> you know? Oh, when did you bloom? Well, I'm, I've always been a late bloomer and I'm a late bloomer in everything. I mean, like I went to college at 22, you know, for uh, Rice, your undergrad. Do you have a did you go to graduate school? No, I didn't go to graduate so, school. So right, that's okay. Mm-hmm. So you went to Rice. Maybe later. That's the thing. I was like, maybe you I'll could. go to grad. I'll get my. I get a graduate degree in my forties or something. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I went to. I actually I dropped out of high school because I hated it so much. You know, I'm like eating lunch alone in the auditorium. Oh, yeah. Really not f- being happy at all. Did you move to New York? Yeah. So I dropped out of high school. And I moved to New York, and I worked in the film industry for four years. Yeah, I remember you making, I wrote down filmmaking, question mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was that was part of my life for, like, a long time, and I, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, I went to New York, and I did all, the, like, the typical stuff. Like, I interned at a film equipment rental house. I worked on little movies. I worked on, like, Reading Rainbow. I was, like, an Stop. assistant electrician. It's oh, really exciting. You know, and I was, like, a assistant grip on on a little short film starring Linda Hamilton and Shannon Sossman. And uh, it's like, you know, all the little tiny uh, glimpses of fame yeah. that you get when you work there. Like, I worked on a MTV documentary that we actually shot at Ice-T's apartment. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh, <clears throat> I think, you know, anybody who works in the industry gets those funny little stories yeah. of like, it's like Ice-T uses Tide. Yeah. You know? I know this about him. He needs more Tide. <laughs> He's throwing it out. It's empty. Um, and then, uh, but I, I kind of, I, I, the thing is I, I was on like an independent, like a big independent feature. And um, I was a second assistant director, which means I was responsible for making sure the actors like were alive at all the times. Okay. And then, so I was in a lot of production meetings and uh, man, I thought I was like, I had a high opinion of myself. Like intellectually, like I hung out at the library when I wasn't on a movie shoot, you know, like I would go see classic films at like 2 p.m. on a Thursday with a bunch of old people at public libraries. But these are people with education, like the director and the writer and the screen uh, screenwriter, the producer. They were talking about like literature and 
the metaphors behind what was going on in the movie. And I just could not access it because I didn't have, I just had never been exposed to it. Mm -hmm. And I realized, whoa, I'm going to be like a gaffer. Like I'm on a really good path to be a gaffer. Like I was, I was like, I had like union paperwork, you know, to like go join like, um, the electrician's union, like the motion picture you electrician's union. Yeah. And then I was like, no, this isn't what I want to do. I want to be those people. Yeah. <clears throat> and then uh, I had, a, I have a cousin who works in the industry and we went and my, we did like a family trip out to LA. We went and chatted with him and I was like, Hey, I want to be a f- filmmaker. What should I do? And he's like, well, number one, do not join this business. <laughs> number and, one, don't. And then he's like, but if you do, number two, go to, go to college. Like, go learn something, you know, get a degree in English or history and really get a broad exposure. Whatever you do, don't get a film degree. You know, he's like, go learn something. Like, he got a business degree. So okay. he really knows how the business of the industry works. Yeah, and smart. so, and, and of course, my dad is is in this little meeting because it's uh, our cousin or his, it's like his cousin's son. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, I've been telling you that for about four years <laughs> now you gotta have a filmmaker you know tell you and you'll now you'll listen yeah <clears throat> and i was like okay i'm gonna do it and so like i dropped what i was doing like i quit this film equipment rental house you know that five dollar an hour <laughs> big bucks yeah you know it was uh tough you know like walking to work because you can't afford the one dollar fifty subway fare yeah um <clears throat> and then i uh actually this is where you know, my life story gets like weird tangents, but like I, I went and worked on oil rigs for like nine months What? to save money for college. Yeah. Cause my dad's a geologist. So he got me a gig oh, or like I an interview no and then idea. I went out like working offshore. That's nuts. Yeah. It's pretty wild. So you could write about that. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like I should have been journaling or something, you know, it's, it's, and I went out there. It was... Well, I started in 02, but then I was out there like in March 03 when like the Iraq invasion started. Oh, snap. Yeah. And like you're on the rig with all these guys who like just uh, were like so red. And like I actually did a lot of writing of lyrics when I was at home because I kind of get caught up in it. You know, it's like I would I went to New York City and I was like an animal rights activist. Yeah. And, and I was part of a little group and they're like, you're a filmmaker. Help us get a bunch of cameras so we can undercover film Barnum and Bailey's elephants. And like I would do things like that and I would protest um, like fur companies and things yeah. like that. And then I went offshore and I was like, maybe I need to join the military. Oh, my like God. I, like I, was, I went kind of kind of chameleon yeah. there. And even like when I got to college, like I feel so bad, like my roommate had to like sit me down and like you're voting for Carrie, right? <laughs> like if you're not, we're going to have a conversation, oh you know, gosh. and uh, uh, so I did that. And then I went to Tech State for a year. OK, but then I just kind of like uh, drank my way through to a 4.0. Oh, so sure. I was like bored. Um, so I went to Rice and I did not get a 4.0 <laughs> but you learned but uh, yeah but also I mean college I was not I was never I'm not one on like GPA mm-hmm. I mean that was kind of my thing in high school too it was like I just I didn't care about homework I was like sitting at home like writing novels mm-hmm. writing poetry you know thinking about movies and I don't have time for math homework you know but then I go in and like ace the test so it's like I kind of like fail the homework component. Yeah. So I kind of mm-hmm. like just like was just coasting through it. 
I felt like I wasn't learning anything. And then so, but in college, it was kind of the same. I picked English because I realized it had the least credits involved. Okay. So you only had to have like 30 credits in English to graduate. So you could do a lot of experimentation yeah. and a lot of electives. And that's what I wanted to do. You know, uh, I spent a lot of time in the library. I had like a professor who was a mentor who was also a playwright. I took his playwriting class five times, which is why I <laughs> had to take an extra semester to, <laughs> to complete <clears throat> college. And, um, so you got something out of it every time. Yeah. 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 But it's like, I, I like can't ever seem to do it by the right plan. Mm-hmm. Like I always say like Boy Scouts, I was a Boy Scout from when I was seven to when I was 18. Mm-hmm. I wanted every camping trip. I was like assistant senior patrol leader, but God forbid I didn't get like a single merit badge. Like I just, <gasps> I could not you? be bothered. I could not be bothered. <laughs> How do you like go so it's from like, I didn't get like Eagle or anything, okay. you, you know, were just a boy scout for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> How does humor play into your work? How does humor play into my work? Um, I said absurdism a little while ago. I, I, I really, I really relate to that. Um, of kind of like things being big and broad. So absurdism, intentionally ridiculous or bizarre behavior or character, like the absurdism of the Dada movement, or the belief that human beings exist in a purposeless, chaotic universe. I think of absurdism as like a reflect, yeah, a reflection of how the world really is. I'm a fan of Camus, mm-hmm. and he has a book on uh, the myth of Sisyphus. And about how we can only make sense of the world if we just uh, admit that it's absurd and move forward despite that. And I think that, like, in this business that I envision with a friend of mine that I'm working on, we're like, if we're going to have, like, core values, like, absurdism is going to be the core value. (laughs) Number one. Like, if we're going to have, like, digital signage at our headquarters, it's not going to be, like... You know, follow your dreams. It's, you know, it's going to be like, it's going to have to be like Kafka-esque with like smiley faces, you know, and just so that people are like, I don't know what the fuck is going on, but Mm -hmm. I know they don't take this shit seriously. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know. I love that. You know, like, I I think that that's important. So, you know, I I have a colleague, I work at Whole Foods and I, I do internal communications, which means I write emails other people send. Huh. Yeah. Nobody knows what internal communications is, so I find that's the best way to explain it. Yeah. That puts um, your writing yeah. to work. Yeah, yeah. And um, the guy's, like, writing to me, and it's like, I have to, like, respond with puns of what he said, or, like, he's like, do you approve of this message? And I'm like, hell yeah! <laughs> you know, you know, tweet that gram. You know, <laughs> put it on Pinterest, Pinstabook. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, like I have to make it ridiculous because, like, the shit we do is so boring sometimes, you know? And so I find that throwing some absurdism in there is good. But when we, if you want to really talk about humor, like, not, uh, I don't consider myself funny. Like, if I was, like, trying to be funny, like a stand-up comic, it yeah. would f- fucking flop. And I can't tell a knock-knock joke. Like, I'll forget it halfway through and be like, this is, I'm going to go look this up, this word, so I can get it right. And um, and my wife will remind me of that a lot. You know, it's like it's uh, I have Ian stories, you know, because they don't really go anywhere. Like, how this one's already getting off on a tangent. <laughs> but if I... um, But despite that, apparently many people have come up and asked me if I was a stand-up comic 
or like I, I read some old diaries at Mortified and people, multiple people went up to the producers and asked, who is that guy? Why, I thought I, I should have seen him at stand-up. And I was like, I was like, no, I'm not. And, um, and so like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn because I feel like it's only when I'm like not trying that mm-hmm. I can be funny, mm-hmm. which I think of one of the things about psyching myself out. So it's like when I go up to say something, I psych myself out and I say, don't try to do, don't try to do anything. Just like be yourself. And so I guess maybe that was part of like the learning to trust your intuition. So rather than like trying to like perform funny, I was like, just be yourself. Yeah. That got the best response. Yeah. So that's, that's what I've been doing. Um, even when I was in that like comedy video for work, I was like, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll do it. You know, yeah. like, I didn't like try to try to put on a, a silly face or do a gag or like yeah. change my voice. I just like, I did what they asked me to do and people were cracking up and I'm like, okay, I guess that worked. Yeah. You know, I, you know, so I think that that's how humor plays into it. So what, what else is in this box besides journals? Okay. You have so, products. So the other thing I do create creatively, which is not what I would have thought. Like I, I have this best friend. He was my roommate at rice and, uh, and we just got along instantly and, um, he's still my best friend and we are the, you know, absurdist, uh, in crime. And, uh, we've been for years, have been trying to come up with a business idea because we just wanted to like hang out more. Uh-huh. And so we were like, we'll have a consulting firm. We'll start a website. Uh, we'll invent something for hydroponic gardening. Like we tried to like Silicon Valley it. And, uh, he's actually a, uh, an Is that atter- right that I did that? Yeah, it's a tester. It's, okay. He's an attorney for uh, high-tech startups. So we were like, we're going to take your high-tech startup knowledge, and we're going to get it going. And so we, um, you know, we we're like, we're going to start, yeah, this cool white-collar business. And uh, it just never materialized. Like, like, we're not engineers. Like, it's just two of us. We had no capital. So it's like we couldn't <laughs> do any of these things. And so um, here comes my wife's business. Real Love Sex Dolls, episode six. In the adult industry. Super interesting. And they're kind of doing everything kind of slapdash at at first, just like everybody's learning on the fly. You know, I say slapdash. They're doing it really well, but they're they're learning as they go. Yeah. And so um, we just get on the forums, my friend and I, and go, there's all these forums for doll owners. And what are their problems? And uh, it was how to clean and care for the doll. Mm-hmm. What's safe to use with the doll. And we were like, look, if we can create a company where we've done the hard work for you, we tested it, we sourced high quality products, uh, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to go ask, what's the best soap? We got the soap. Yeah. You know, what's the best powder? We got the powder. <clears throat> yeah. And actually, everything I have in here also works for humans. Um so I noticed that uh, to make a sex doll, but also any realistic, oh any realistic adult <laughs> toy. Okay, so I am holding a slab of sex doll skin that's really just so much fun to hold. And it feels like real skin. It feels it's silky, right? <sighs> and then we also make lipstick. Really? So it's like we're like two like really just like average straight Some dudes, dudes making. making lipstick. And yeah. so <laughs> we thought we were going to make it for dolls, but it doesn't really work out so well for dolls. But the lipstick itself is like great. So we're, we're, um, we're working with Randy on creating a lipstick brand. But so what I, what I was thinking is that um, what I was saying before 
is, you know, for years we were trying to create like this white collar high tech company that we thought would make us happy. Mm-hmm. And now we're like putting stickers on 500 bottles and like shooting the breeze, having like a blast. So it's good. And it's like, we're like, you know, if you would, if you would have asked me like five years ago, Hey, you, you guys are going to have a, uh, light manufacturing yeah. business that you are going to do the manual labor yourself and you're going <laughs> to enjoy it. I would have been like, what happened to my life? <laughs> you know, you like something about? terrible happened, but, <laughs> but no, it's like super fun. And, um, you know, it's super satisfying, you know, the kind of work that I do, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, this word that is triggered like knowledge worker. Mm-hmm. And so I do, you know, I, I, sometimes I get to do like a print piece where I get to actually see like the physical manifestation of my work. All right. I put up a poster, we make a brochure, a, a booklet. Mm-hmm. I send an email and I get, I get a copy of the email, you know, wow. Yeah. But here Success. it is like, I can make like, you know all this product people like it they they write back they they uh they talk about how much they like it we've gotten we get really good reviews and then uh you have like something in your hand that you could hold at the end of the day and yeah. and that's that's been like surprisingly satisfying like it like now to say it sometimes seems like so like oh yeah everybody says that it it's great but like uh the feeling i got was way more than i was expecting Let's talk about Mortified. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you find out about this? What made you want to do it? How well, did- so I, um, it just so happens that the local Mortified producer in Austin is Mike Groutman, and we worked together at Whole Foods. Oh. So I knew that he did a lot of performing things, and um, we kind of did circles around because he was close with other people on my team, and I thought he was a really interesting guy. And so he started talking about Mortified and, you know, the, for those of you who don't know, the shtick of Mortified is that you read like your childhood journals and stories and things. And I told him I have a lot of them. <laughs> stacks and stacks. Stacks and stacks. And so he's like, we got to get you on. And so I, I went to like a little, a session where they kind of like vet you and oh. see what kind of stuff you have. Uh-huh. And I brought like you know, a giant box of stuff. And they're like, okay, well, there's you'll be here. doing mortified. <laughs> and so the thing, the thing is, is that I've, I've done, you know, like I said, I do all this writing. I've been writing novellas since I was in like sixth, seventh grade, but it's all bullshit and really <laughs> crappy and juvenile. <laughs> and so it, it, it's, it's really felt like this giant wash, you know, for years. And like, it's, uh, kind of like don't know what to do with it and now you get to tap into it yeah and what's great is it's like wow i can use the writing that's terrible and i can read it and no one judges it the more terrible the better yes absolutely what was interesting is i brought in like a traditional journal and that's not interesting it's like today we went to fame city waterworks i got bitten (laughs) by an ant fame city (laughs) you know and it's like CJ thinks my Superman underwear is bad, you know, and, <laughs> and, and then, uh, and I said, look, look, Mike, I've got this thing. I think it's inappropriate. Like with everything that's going on, um, with kind of like the exposure of sexual harassment, like, I don't think I should read this. And he's like, Oh, the oh, way well. you're scared <laughs> yeah. means you need to show it to me. And so I wouldn't even give him the actual, because you actually give them your things. And the, the producers pick your stuff. 
Oh. And so I, I would not even give him the book. I typed it up. <laughs> I was so, so scared. And then they made that like the fin- the closing piece. Really? And myself and that was that was um I uh I brought the journal itself. It's at some point I started to journal as um a 17-year-old girl. Really? Talking about like sex and stuff. As a 7th uh, grader? Uh, I was maybe like 15. Okay. Yeah. And um, I'm a late bloomer, so I'm doing bad things late. So you are in a band called Ain't Nothings, and you have a demo called No Regerts on iTunes and uh, Spotify. Um, Tell me about the project. So it's a punk band. I guess uh, New Year's Day 2017, we started jamming in a garage. Uh, I was so nervous about playing that I put drum mutes on my drums in the garage to play. And, uh, yeah. And then we put out an ad on Craigslist and we wrote, uh, the ad for on Craigslist was a dad band seeks terrible bassist. (laughs) That's really good. And, uh, we, we had like a bunch of, you know, if you put out an ad for a terrible bassist, you will get a lot of responses. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, Hey, I don't play bass. But if you have one, I might be willing to learn. Or, like, I used to play bass, and I just can't find my bass. If I find it, can I join your band? <laughs> You're like, what? You know, or they're like, I've been a professional musician for 25 years, and I would like to join your band. No. <laughs> You'll make us all. Yeah. Look and I was like, you're going to hate us. And then we found a guy who was like, you know, I might be the... Uh, terrible bassist you're looking for and he was like the perfect level of owns a bass yes knows where it is knows how to play it a little bit (laughs) and is totally cool with us sucking hard and so uh and we started just getting jamming for a couple weeks a couple hours every week at a place called space down in south austin Uh uh-huh and um we just like started writing punk riffs we, we started doing covers and i actually i talked to my drum teacher and i was like we do covers for like the first hour and a half and like the last 15 20 minutes we we jam and he's like no 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 no, no. you jam until you're done and then you play the covers and so i go to the band and i'm like my drum teacher <laughs> told he told me and i always do what my teachers say because <laughs> i am that guy i'm the teacher's bet i was like he said we jam first boom we started writing songs like oh. crazy and um so, um, and then, uh, apparently everyone can hear you when you're in a re- rehearsal space without even... drum mutes. Yeah. And so it's like people like the sound engineer who works there was like, Hey, you guys should come record. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and so we recorded back in like April or May and, um, we put out a little six song EP. And so we're the ain't nothings. And the idea is, um, I mean, first off, it's a reflection of our playing ability and then second off, it's kind of like, you know, com- where we fit into the pyramid scheme, you know, like kind of the, the shtick is that like, you know, we ain't nothing, but we're still going to make, you know, work to make a difference. Oh, I like it. Yeah. And so it's very like, uh, we, we, we like, we listen to a lot of like TSOL and like classic hardcore punk, like circle jerks. And, um, my lead singer like really likes, uh, stiff little fingers, like old school Irish punk. Like very very politically oriented, so um, yeah, we wrote a bunch of songs and like as we were writing, 
we're like, something's wrong with this song. We just, it doesn't, it's not doing it. And we're like, well, let's just speed it up like 30 beats per minute. And they're like, bam, we, that was it. <laughs> That's a punk song. You know? And it was like, uh, this song's not going on. We're like, but just say more words. And then, so it was like, we, it was the, the, the whole, the whole scheme was like jam as much as we can into it. And then as a drummer, I just had to go like, you know, like this is the best I can play. <laughs> That's as many beats yeah. as I can do. Okay. Let's play a song. Which one do you want us to play? Uh, dress code is the shortest, but everyone likes vacation the most. So I started drumming as an adult. You took lessons, right? Yeah. I recommend starting playing an instrument younger <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I, I realized that uh, my my max is uh, capped pretty low of what I'll be able to do on the drums, uh, especially given my, my, my schedule. Uh, a few years ago, I thought I was done with music, like even listening to music. Like I was oh. so bored. Like I, I hadn't really grown, you know, like I, I'm kind of a loner, so I, I don't have a lot of friends who can be like, you need to be listening to this band mm-hmm. and that band. And have you ever thought about this? And, uh, but I texted a friend who had been a bassist in, in a bunch of metal bands. And I was like, man, I'm so bored. What am I going to do? Like, you got to help me. And he started like feeding me one band at a time and seeing what I liked. And I started getting into like whole new genres I didn't know about. Uh-huh. And, um, and then he's like, well, if you like that band, you should go like this band. And uh, it like, wow, the fact that I was listening to, it was 25-year-old music, but it was all new to me. And I just fucking loved it. And uh, I was traveling cross-country a lot. So I would just listen to like three or four albums in a stretch. And then uh, just got so jazzed about music again. Like I was excited. And all of a sudden, I was around all these other people who, who turned out to be musicians. Uh-huh. So I was working on this project in North Carolina, and there was a guy who was a drummer, a guy who played the trumpet, a guy who played the saxophone, and uh, they were all encouraging me to play. And they're like, even even as an adult, like it doesn't matter. And uh, it took me a couple years to kind of get the drum practice pad, and then I got a little like simple kit for christmas one year it was like a big surprise i did not was not From expecting Randy. this yeah and i was like okay she supports it <laughs> let's yeah. go let's go let's go do it <clears throat> and uh because it's not a quiet hobby <laughs> you can't do it that's that's a big problem with drums is like you can't like uh it's hard to put in the work yeah with other people around you're feeling like you're bothering them yeah and you have a small child i mean rowan's what like two two and a half yeah, yeah. so yeah. like if there's nap time when yeah. you have time for yourself you can't yeah well the thing and even if it's just me and rowan hanging at the house i can play the drums for a little while and then he wants to come play them and so how does that affect your practice time i feel like um it's real i don't know i kind of given up on being good <laughs> well, I, you know, like I, I play in a punk band, and so like the main thing is how fast can I play? Okay. And so that's what I focus on. So I the most practice I do is in the car. I keep drumsticks in the car, 
and I um, I do fing- little finger exercises uh, to strengthen all my fingers in my left hand, and then I um, the right hand is what has to go really fast on like the hi hat or the ride. So it's like I just practice really fast. Sometimes I even turn on a, a metronome in the car. But um, yeah, I though. That's so a good the, tip. the thing is, is it although I feel like man, you know, a sixteen-year-old who has a bunch of time and can just sit around for a couple hours and figure something out. Like I'm never gonna have two hours, right? To just sit down with a song and crack it open. You know, we're in like a very politically charged time, mm-hmm. and we feel like, wow, what a great time to have a punk band you know we get together and we're like you know fuck this shit we're gonna write a song about it i've got feelings <clears throat> yeah yeah and my my our like the guitarist we it's a th- it's a you know power trio and the guitarist and vocalist he's like a really angry carpenter and um he's like he like doesn't give shit and he like puts it all on the line and it's like a really aggressive sound from him it's like I'm like so grateful to have him in the band because I'm like kind of more, you know, like I, cho- I think I chose the drums because there's this all these huge things in front of you that kind of provide a little you can security. Hide a net. Yeah. And um, and I think that that's a common thing for, for drummers. You know, mm. it's like that's why I was in the tech booth and on stage. I really tried to lose my mind. Like, I love it. Like, we have a song called Our Way. Like, I love to play it. Like, I just like fucking crazy it's like they have to the bassists and guitars they have to turn up their shit because like i'm just like wailing on everything and like i mean that's our that's our thing it's like i bought like i have this giant ludwig kit with like a 26 inch bass drum i mean and i bought like a, the black beauty like the loudest fucking metal snare i could get I, I play with like giant 2b like really thick sticks and uh and i hit as hard as i can i got like i get like I big cymbals i have big hi-hats like i I want the things to be loud. Yeah. If, if I'm not very good, but things, very loud. it's going to carry. Yes. And, um, and so, uh, like it's very, it's very, it's a very physical thing for me. Well, it sounds like you get a lot out emotionally by playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like this is something that you, you know, were afraid to try or intimidated by for a while, or you just kind of, decided someone told my mom saw that i was like fidgety and stuff uh-huh and was like yo he should he should play drums and so like i'd had this advice sitting in my pocket for like 20 years mm. really shit again don't wait that long kids well, what what made you wait that long <clears throat> well you know we talk we, randy and i talk about this and i don't I, what would i have done before like i had no money like i lived in an apartment in new york city like where was i gonna play i couldn't afford lessons it's probably it's probably this is probably the first time in my life i could have done it hmm. you know or like we were you know randy's in grad school we're living in like a grad student apartment in new jersey on like one salary with a kid mm-hmm. like not a lot of like spare cash for drumsticks you know so yeah. this is probably the first time in my life when i could have done it okay yeah that's a good answer so for our listeners I have homework for you. Is there a craft or a performance or activity that you have been waiting to try or have always wanted to? What is it? I want you to write us on Twitter and Instagram with the hashtag chatty crafties and let us know. I'm also going to ask uh, in a post and I want to chat about it in next week's interview. Um, So Ian, 
If you were to give yourself a title for your creative identity, what would your title be? I would say I'm privately prolific. Oh, I love the alliteration. So I um I say that because you know I'm sitting around with these uh piles of writing, the hundred thousand word books that are incomplete. The uh no intention of becoming a professional musician musician. Yeah. The um weird weird hobby of making this you know, adult product accessories. Yeah. Shit. It's like, I'm not, I'm not, none of this is like geared towards fame or notoriety. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be like a real published author, but at the same time, like the wheels are always churning. And in my house, I'm a prolific author. Yeah. You know, I think it's what draws me to them is that even if I don't have the, I don't have the titles behind my name, I still write all the time. Definitely. Working. Oh, I love that so much. Well, thank you, Ian. And thanks to our listeners. And we hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes of Chatty Crafties. For more by the Ain't Nothings, find them on Spotify. Then search Berm and Swale on Facebook for a little cool down. Photos, links, and more at chattycrafties.com. This episode was produced by me, Amber Moreno, and hosted by my crafty comrade, Angelica Norton, right here at Open Envelope Studio. Thanks for listening. Now enjoy this promo, then go make some art. I'm Dan. And we're from the St. Paul Filmcast. And we talk movies. Yeah, we talk independent, local, classical, modern, and even new films. And where can they find us, Nick? Well, you guys can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also find us on Twitter at STPaulFilmcast. Hope you show up. Yeah, we hope so. Um, once again, that's the St. Paul Filmcast. And now back to your regular scheduled programming. I always wanted You gotta break a few eggs to make this omelet. Can you make this omelet for me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>